Welcome once again to Unprofessional. I am, as pretty much always, Lex Friedman and joined by the handsome and talented Dave Whiskus. Hi, Dave. Hi, and I'm always Dave. Always. 100% of the time. I think that's accurate. Except at doctor's offices when they call you in as David. Well, I mean, that's, that's semantics, sir. It's true. Well, speaking of semantics, I don't actually have a way to make that segue work. Our guest today is none other than Sir, I think he's been knighted in 16 countries, Sir John Hodgman. Hi, John. Hello. Wait, is the, is the title of Sir, is that something you can only get if you're knighted by the Queen, or can you, can you be knighted in I don't think you, well? first, well, there, there may be orders, sort of knightly or courtly orders in other countries, <laughs> but certainly in terms of being knighted as a, as, a, as a knight of the British Empire, the KBE, I don't think I could ever be, I'm not a British subject. Well, if if there were a nomination process, I would nominate you. I just don't think it works. That now way. we've we've never done this before, but I'll I'll go out on a limb. I will say, at the show, unprofessional. I hereby knight you. You are a knight of unprofessional. No, thank you. No thank. No thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have I have enough. Well, I've then, got enough salad on my uniform as it is. Thank you very much. <laughs> Well, so we'll stick with Mr. John Hodgman then. But John, in case yeah, there are person, any listeners, I'm a regular. I'm a regular guy. I'm a U.S. citizen. There well, are you're one of yeah, us. There's no there are no hierarchies other than fame, and I and I win. <laughs> <laughs> well, in case any listeners uh, have been, let's say, comatose until the month of November in the year of our Lord 2013, uh, who is John Hodgman? Oh, you want me to answer? I do. Well, I, I thought he wanted me to answer. Well, I, until <laughs> until until the moment I said there is no hierarchy in America other than fame, and I win, where I thus cursed myself to utter <laughs> obscurity for the rest of my life instead of the the quasi obscurity I enjoy now. I was a writer, a humorist, which is I stretch that out. <laughs> To to express to my yeah to express my my discomfort with the word, although I think it is the most accurate word. I think some people like to describe me as a comedian. I think it's more. I was going to ask honest to Do say. Do you feel that's wrong? Well, I began I began as a writer, and 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 insofar as I do comedy at all, I began as a writer of of uh, uh, humorous pieces for the internet for McSweeney's .net, and you know those those casual humor pieces of the kind that you might read in the New Yorker and it used to be in other magazines. You know, that's, that is, that is what a humorist does. I guess that's what you would call humorism. And the <laughs> difference between that and comedy is that comedy is by definition designed to provoke a single unexplainable human reaction called laughter. Whereas humorism has a much lower bar to cross. It's merely, my job is merely to produce low chuckles among the, among the arched eyebrow set. That's interesting. I would have gone the other way though. I would say that it almost seems like uh, a humorist. That's more. Um, that's more highbrow. You're not. You're not just trying to get a laugh. You're trying to make people think. I I suppose I suppose so. But in the same way that I don't want to be a, a knight of the fictitious unprofessional empire, right? <laughs> uh, because I'm just a regular dude. Uh, in my in my quest for regular dudeism. I try. I try to embrace comedy as much as humor. Do you know what I mean? I, I want, do. I and, want to make people laugh. I am. So look. First of all, m most of your listeners are still confused. They still don't know who I am. <laughs> uh, I, I wrote some books um, of humorism 
uh, <laughs> called called the areas of my expertise more information than you require and that is all which together are the complete world knowledge trilogy a, a, a thousand pages of uh, amazing true history and uh, fascinating trivia all invented by me and that put me on to the daily show with john stewart as a guest and then i came back um at their at their request i didn't force myself on them <laughs> I came Stormed back, the studio. Yeah, I came back to be a contributor on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart starting in, in 2006, uh, where I was the resident expert for a long period of time. And more, more recently, I, I appear as a different kind of um, buffoon uh, uh, character, uh, the deranged millionaire. Um, and, and that put me on the radar of some other projects. Um, most notably, uh, I did a series of uh, television commercials for a major computer company in the United States in which I portrayed the personal computer opposite Justin Long's Mac. Now, just to explain to your audience, there was a slight technical problem <laughs> as I, uh, on my end, as I went talking on and on and on, the internet decided it had heard enough from me and shut down the Skype brand talking program. <laughs> and Skype consequently, rolled its eyes at you. Yeah. And consequently, I went on to record another 30 minutes <laughs> of my resume while, uh, while these guys, Lex and Dave, just sort of sat around going, oh, boy, what happened? I guess, I guess he hung up on us. Thank God. We were, we were troubleshooting. John Hodgman did the show by himself. Right. In any case, where I, where I left off in my monologue was that I did the I did the Apple Get a Mac ad campaign, and that that put me onto the Daily Show. Um, or no, excuse me, I did. Where I left off is I did the Apple ad campaign, and that allowed me to do some other small acting parts in different TV shows, including Bored to Death and um, and other guest roles. And uh, and uh, now I am whatever it is that I am, all, all the sum of all of those things, and not more. <laughs> Maybe a little less, maybe a little less than the sum of my parts. <laughs> you could sum it up as you are, you are a humorist with a fantastic mustache. Oh yeah, that's right. I have a mustache. <laughs> Which all the podcast listeners can probably hear. I think it might add some sibilance or all right, reverb. Children gather around. It's John, John Hodgman's mustache time. Hang on. Listen carefully. This is what it sounds like. I was oh, and the, I and I ha, and I host a popular podcast called Judge John Hodgman on the Maximum Fun Network with my friend Jesse Thorne. You do. That was you do. another uh, another thing that I do. Oh, and you have a special on Netflix right now. Ragnarok is available on Netflix and soon to be available on a digital versatile disc known to you as DVD. <laughs> <laughs> you you're a renaissance man. You're everywhere. And yeah, and I'm traveling the country performing brand new comedy and this is comedy this is not humorism i was gonna ask okay so to be clear though when i'm seeing you around the country you are not in your guise as a humorist in this case you are purely doing comedy i'm trying not to be in any guise other than the famous american humorist john hodgman <laughs> i'm trying to hal holbrook <laughs> that's myself. what i did for halloween <laughs> yeah like hal holbrook went around the country pretending to be mark twain for a thousand years yes and i'm trying to i'm trying to do the same thing uh, but reality is that I am I'm now performing comedy that is as close an imitation to stand up comedy as I've gotten. I'm standing up and I'm telling jokes 
and I'm telling jokes not from the point of view of a der- of a deranged expert or a deranged millionaire, but from the point of view of me, the actual me, John Hodgman, parent, citizen, husband, um, famous minor television and internet personality. Is that also your Twitter bio? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. So there, there it is. That's the conclusion of my. I just read to you my whole Twitter bio. That's. <laughs> It just goes on. I think that's more than 140 characters. Yeah. Well, I, met, I, I, w- I was an early adopter, so they, they've given me some leeway. <laughs> right. Plus, I think just famous people in general get a few extra characters per tweet. You don't notice because they, they parcel them out slowly. Yeah. No, we, we get them. We get a, we get a, a, a gift box of extra characters. <laughs> they also get unusual every week, letters. Every week. Mm-hmm. They can they're, use imaginary like blank numbers. Scrabble tiles. Yeah. yeah. Different, different kinds of punctuation. Only only us B-listers get the Intero bang. <laughs> I noticed, speaking of uh, blank Scrabble tiles, you have, uh, it's been a long time since you live tweeted a Scrabble game. Is that because you're playing less or because you're more discerning in what you're tweeting or what? So, yes, I play Scrabble exclusively with my wife and we enjoy it very much. And at one point, and we're fairly competitive with each other. I would not say that we're, competitive in the world of Scrabble. I think we have a lot <laughs> to learn. And the real and so at one point we both started tweeting the, the game and it seemed amusing to me and a few others in the world to, you know, say, "Our oh, well, Catherine just uh just made uh, uh Are you there, John? I, I Skype just hates us. I'm not sure what the problem is today. I'm recording again now. Well, call recorded mm, okay. is a good job. It'll have lots of. You'll have to send us a couple different tracks, but we'll, we'll make it work. Yeah, no, I'll split the tracks and do everything right. But I, I, I'm now creating a new. I think I'm creating a new recording again. Okay, this is anyway, this is what happened last time. This is a huge step up for us. Normally, when we have uh, celebrities or celebrity adjacent people on the show, <laughs> we end up doing tech support for them. So for you to already have call recorder and be so assured that you're going to get this right is a nice change of pace. Well, you know, I, I, I didn't up, I didn't update to the latest, latest, and I think it's trying to punish me. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens. But so you're competitive at Scrabble, yeah. Yeah. So you know, it it, it it was amusing to 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 tweet a sort of a play by play of the game, and it was a completely sincere effort. Like when I get excited about hitting a a, a triple word score or a dub word score, or you know hitting that hitting a, a triple letter score with the Q in two directions that's exciting stuff for oh, sure. me and it's exciting when when my wife do, does it as well and, and and so you know to me it's a completely sincere uh, you know representation of the excitement we feel during the game um and then uh, we did we've done it quite a bit and we haven't done it lately in part because it really it became we started playing scrabble just to live tweet. And in the same way that I always feel, you know, no one should write a book in order to have written a book. You have to have, you must be moved to do a thing, whether or not anyone would ever read it. So to play Scrabble solely to live tweet a Scrabble game, I think felt a little inauthentic. And the other thing is that we need to, we've plateaued. I mean, we, 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 you you know, I'm an unstoppable force and she's an immovable object (laughs) when it comes to Scrabble because we know all the same tricks. We know all the same words. Our vocabulary is stalled out and, um, and we, and we crowd the board, you know, mercilessly such that, you know, basically, it, it, it's a it's a big square of tiles because we we're constantly trying to not leave 
an opportunity for someone else to make a good word or, or, or heaven forbid, a bingo. You only play with your wife. Is that? Yeah. Why is that? Yeah. I, well, be, because it's, we have, we enjoy ourselves and I'm, t- I'm terrified to play with someone like we made a mistake <laughs> once and played with David Reese, who you may know is the author of Get Your War On and My New Fighting Technique is Unstoppable. He's a cartoonist and a comedian and a humorist and also an artisanal pencil sharpener. You may know his book, How, How to Sharpen Pencils, yes. which is a really good book. It's a page turner. How to Sharpen Pencils. You learn a lot about pencils, David Reese and yourself. <laughs> when you really focus very carefully on a single skill like sharpening pencils, it's a, it's a meditative Who practice. wrote the foreword for that book? Oh, I I did oh, that. I forgot that's about right. that. Yeah. Well, but David Reese is one of my heroes. You know, he's an incredibly, incredibly talented guy, and and it turns out a incredibly talented and ruthless Scrabble player who routinely drops two bingos a game, wow. and wow, that's, that's not. Insane. Yeah, that's not. I I realized when we when we opened the circle to include him in the game, it just um. It just, um, it just was humiliating. So, so you, you, you probably, and the other thing is you probably wouldn't hang on. I'm still talking about Scrabble. Stop (laughs) interrupting me. The other thing is that, you know, like a three handed game of Scrabble or, and a four handed game of Scrabble is very different from a, from a head to head game of Scrabble. It's just, it's just a different game. It goes a lot quicker. The tiles go away faster. The board fills up quicker. It's, it's, it's hard to adjust and, um, and to play head to head against someone else. The only other person that I've played head to head with is um, a woman who goes on the Jonathan Colton cruise, Tracy Wilson, known as Famous Tracy on Twitter, who is a producer at um, uh, HowStuffWorks.com. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, and she, you know, Jonathan Colton has a cruise every year and I go on it and we have a, we have a Scrabble match every year and it's pretty, it's gotten pretty competitive. That's been fun because I destroyed her year one and then she <laughs> studied, like she went to the dojo and came back and dojo. I wonder if that's got to be a word you could use. I have to hang on. Everyone pause while I see if dojo is allowed in Scrabble. I imagine and it I'll would just, be. It's not a proper noun. It's not a proper noun. And, and it's and foreign words are allowed if they're, if well, it's really just official Scrabble players dictionary. Hang sure. On no, I'm just excited that this is the reason, though, that you're, you're playing less. I was worried that like, I mean, I, I don't have the problem of having, you know, just under a million followers. I, I was wondering, do you, does, as you grow in the follower count, does one worry more about what one tweets? But it sounds like that is not the limitation. It's just the fact that you're not playing as often. I'm fascinated by the monogamous Scrabble relationship. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know what you guys were saying just then because I was looking up Dojo. It is allowable, by yes! the way. I mean, look at that. Yeah, I'm gonna, that's a good one. That's, I can't believe I've never... Well, this is the thing, you know, if you, if you like words at all, Scrabble is fun. There are people who, people who are really good at Scrabble hate words. All they care about is memorizing vocabulary lists so that they can make the highest scoring words on that are possible. But, but if you, you know, I don't think anyone would be drawn to Scrabble if they, if they weren't curious, like is Dojo allowed? And Dojo is an amazing word because Joe, J-O is one of the is the only two letter word that that you can make with a j and you can you can you can rock some pretty serious stuff if you're building off of that jo doge someone's always making jo at least in our games cuz it's simple and high scoring and then you could really rock a dojo on that it's pretty good <laughs> and by the way what's your guess guys can you pluralize it or not can you pluralize it by adding I'm, an s i'm going yes i say yes 
That's correct. D-O-J-O-S is the All right, that's we 16 win. points to each of us, I think, now. So that's good. We're all tied up at 16 points. So I'll play, you know, I'll play with I'll play with famous Tracy at sea. Like she's like my salt wife. My salt, my <laughs> Scrabble salt wife. So you are a lot in this equation. But here's the thing. So she went to Scrabble Dojo and learned hard. And then when she came back year two, uh, she destroyed me. And then year three, I was on my I was on my on my toes. And uh, I think I eked out if I remember correctly, I think I eked out a win. Well, you're um, on the show and she's not. So let's just say, yes, you won that game. No, well, it doesn't, you know, it's like, it's all, it's all, all, all's fair in cruises and Scrabble. You know what I mean? It's like, it's fine. People ask me all, not all the time, but with some frequency, what, what's your highest scoring word or the one you're most proud of? It's like time moves in one direction, people. Like, I don't even know what my high score is. Like I finish a game of Scrabble. I move on at that point. I'm so, you know, the, the you're spent. You, yeah, I'm, and I'm probably and I probably had about seven martinis too, so I don't care. I fall <laughs> That's asleep. a good way to go. So your your Scrabble playing relationship is at least for the most part monogamous. Is Scrabble your game, or do you do other word games? Like, are you a letterpress fan? I don't even know what that is, and I don't want to know. I don't uh, play. Tell you. I don't like. I don't play words with friends because a that board is different, and to me, playing Scrabble is really it's it's an intuitive like it's an intuitive. You know, I'm not uh, I'm not um, Russell uh, Crowe in uh, in the code breaking movie. I don't see patterns everywhere. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I, that I was, <laughs> what's it? it was called code breaking movie, wasn't that what it was yes. called? <laughs> Russell, Russell Crowe Crow is code breaking movie. Is cr- the movie is code is code breaking. He's crowed breaking. He's breaking crows all over the place. Road cracking too. But you know, I. To, to me, it's like it took me a long time to understand the nuance of the board of Scrabble and where those where those tiles sit and how to how to game, how, you know, the, how, how to how to, you know, hit that triple triple word tile and maybe try to hit two triple word tiles at the same time. And I, I don't want to poison my mind with the words with friends, <laughs> you know, layout, because then, right. then I'm just going to be confused. And I'm then, with you on this. And the other thing and the other thing is like. I don't, uh, as I've said before, it's not from, as far as I'm concerned, it's not words with friends. It's Scrabble, right? With enemies. And that's, <laughs> that's my. It's on the field of battle, on the field of Scrabble. Yeah. We're not friends. That That's war. That's yeah, war. Totally. Totally. And you know, I, I'm with you. If you're going to do words with friends or Scrabble, you kind of have to just stick to one or the other because of the yeah. board. You're not playing the tiles. You're not playing your letters. You're playing the board. Yeah, but Scrabble's the orig, and I never like you know my is orig the, the orig pronunciation of that word. By the way, just as a point of order. Yeah, I drop a lot of abreaves now that I turn forty. I'm totally you got to say breathing it up. It. Yeah, well, I want people to understand that I'm young. I'm hip. I'm with it. I'm hip. So it's abreaves. I breathe it. I just abreave it. Drop well, a lot of briefs. But, but Scrabble is the origin, and, and clearly, yeah. And you know, the, the thing off. is that you know, my 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 wife and I have been married for a long time, long before there was Twitter, long before a lot of the internet, and there was just an old cell chow and writer Scrabble game up at the house that had belonged to my mom in Western Massachusetts, and now belongs to us, and we would just play it because we didn't have internet up there for the longest time. We, in, in fact, we didn't get internet up up in in franklin county in the hill town of franklin county where we live part-time until a couple years ago hearkening back to an age before the internet when you had to interact with other people socially in person yeah it was miserable 
It was miserable. For, no, it I was have fun. a hard time imagining. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, you know, it was a, it, it truly was like going into the land that time forgot up there for a while. So I'm from Brookline, Massachusetts. My Woo. mom and dad. Are you from? <laughs> what the hell? I just figured, you know, if you're in front of a live audience, no matter what city you name, somebody's going to cheer. And I went to school in Waltham, Massachusetts. So I felt like that was close enough that I could be that somebody in this case. So I wooed. Was, was I supposed to woo for Waltham? <laughs> Yes. You missed the cue. Well, that's okay. We'll, we'll fix it in post. I, I, uh, I went to school in Waltham. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed Did it. Did you get that? Can you drop that in later? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's good. It's good. I got it. But here's the thing. So we, we live, so my mom and dad bought a house in a hill in a town, in a, 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 a rural agricultural town in, in Western Massachusetts in the Pioneer Valley. And um, it, it's a, uh, but uh, when my mom passed away in 2000, my dad wasn't interested in keeping up the house anymore, and he and he sold it to us for a modest sum, and we learned how to be homeowners at that time, and uh, and the hard way by clogging every pipe and ruining the septic system and destroying the heating, and then we had to pay for fixing all that stuff that we didn't know how to keep properly, and it was truly an education in adulthood that New York never gives you because New York. Um, like a lot of major cities just encourages you to be a perpetual adolescent. You never drive anywhere. You just go to bars all the time and you act. That's why I'm moving to New York. Yeah. Where, where are you guys located? I am in in Jersey. That's right. I'm in central New Jersey, the epicenter Uh of podcasting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm in Denver right now, but I'm moving to New York in the next couple of weeks. Oh, you are. Oh, well, I just had a whole, uh, conversation with uh, Jonathan Colton in which he was uh, pushing me pretty hard on I should be in Manhattan not Brooklyn humble brag yeah well here's the thing you know New York's a big city there are a lot of different places to live there are a lot of people living here there are a lot of people that you can hang out with and and make friends with so you don't have to look me up (laughs) noted (laughs) what's interesting though is that you know you know a a surprising and I would say even unusual collection of past unprofessional guests. You you've referenced already as Dave just did, Mr. Colton. And where yeah. did you two meet? At college. We went to Yale University together. Were you roommates there? No, he we were in the same freshman dorm, but I was on the top floor and he was two floors below me well you've busted my entire theory i was talking you just to you Dave. totally destroyed you totally destroyed lex's segue i had, no i had this theory it wasn't a, a segue necessarily but i was talking to dave before we called you today and uh i was i thought i was under the miss uh the, the erroneous belief let's say that you and and jonathan colton had been roommates at yale and that Given that both you and he had been roommates, which is a falsehood, and that Al Gore and uh, Tommy Lee Jones had been roommates, which I believe is a truehood, uh, I thought that maybe there was some theory that we could develop about uh, when fascinating people room together. But you've you've ruined it all, so thanks for nothing. Look, I, my my roommates were pretty cool. <laughs> you know, the the weird thing is that when I was at Yale, Tommy Lee Jones was my roommate. <laughs> that is you, weird. You, his continuing education thing. Yeah, Tommy Lee Jones went back. He went back to school in his fifties. Never wow. stops learning, that guy. In order, well, I wonder how old he was at that time. I was graduated from Yale in 1993, and Tommy Lee Jones decided to get a photography degree at the at the Yale School of Art. Yeah, well, that, so well, that we, makes sense. We hung out together a lot. It was a lot of it was a lot of yelling, and he like, uh he made us watch The Eyes of Laura Mars like every weekend. <laughs> so like. <laughs> That's of all of his movies. That's the one he's proudest of. I don't know. Understand? 
I, I just now actually, I, I so much do I enjoy the movie The Fugitive that I watched it on IFC with commercials over the weekend, and because I well it's The Fugitive I can't stop it's a a perfect Tommy Lee Jones performance so even with the commercial break stretching it out and cutting out scenes I watched it there just so I could see Tommy talk about all the different kinds of houses that people should be checking. Wait, 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 wait. wait. uh, Why not just get it on Netflix? Why would you watch it with commercials? It wasn't on Netflix. As soon as I started watching it, I'm like, well, is this available to stream? But it is not. Uh, So iTunes. Yeah, uh, that I was too lazy for. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, no, he, um, that is kind of a perfect movie. And you kind of, you know, I remember seeing it and just, it's bullet, it's bulletproof. It just fits together so perfectly and it works so well. And the characters, there's so much great characterization among every member of his little team yes from joe pantaloniano and all and <laughs> and the guy who played dr arts on lost and yes. then the woman and then the guy the kid the young kid don't let them give you any shit about your ponytail oh so many great lines tommy lee jones was not, was 47 years old when i was graduated from <laughs> yale from yale university in 1993 47 years old and he already looked like he looks he already looked like <laughs> like a like a like an angry ent you know what i mean yes. like and he's, and he, Weathered. he's just like i don't know whether he he must have taken some kind of potion or something but i mean he looked he looked exactly like he looks now and he was 47 years old five years older than i am now well, given that guys though, have you heard about have you heard about time uh, passing <laughs> i hate that you have now ruined the reality of men in black three for me though because in men in black three oh. tommy lee jones from what you're telling me that he's always looked this how old is, he should have played look, himself as young tommy how, lee jones. no 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 don't 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 invoke men in black three <laughs> i'm just saying yeah, i know just just because we're talking about Tommy Lee Jones and the Fugitive doesn't mean we have to okay. <laughs> watch. We don't, we so don't if, have to talk about Men in Black 3 or 2. Hey, the Fugitive came out in 1993 when Tommy Lee Jones was 47 years old. He doesn't and look I was a day gra- over 60 in that As film. your roommate. And I was being graduated from college. And being graduated. <laughs> so, you know, he's accurate. Well, he's, he's using that verb in the, the accurate way. It is yeah, I've, I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. Technically, I was technically I was the class of 1994 because I took a semester off sophomore year to go to England on a drink abroad program. <laughs> so I I was graduated a little bit late, but I was the class of 1993 originally, and I remember it. 1993 was a great oh boy oh boy, that was this that was the, that was a great year for for Hodgman because I was I stayed in New Haven for the summer. I had a great apartment. I was working at the video store, which is something we used to have then. <laughs> And, and just totally watching movies all the time. Just like, oh, I remember that summer. I was like, you know, I'm a young person. I'm immortal. I can waste all all of my time here on earth. Why don't I just <laughs> curate for myself? I've never seen the Friday the 13th movies. I'm going to curate myself a Friday the 13th week. And every night I would go home and just watch a Friday the 13th movie um, and, and, uh, and fall asleep in total panic. Not because... Not be, not because uh, the movies were so scary, but I lived in New Haven. <laughs> people were, people were often getting into my apartment building and threatening you with needles. It was a weird time. I was just thinking though, how funny it is to me that you were thinking you were young and innocent in 1993, which was also the year I had my bar mitzvah. So I had you beat in the young category in 1993. I think by now I've probably what are you, are you just up- are you seriously. Seriously, are you just sitting there bragging about that you're younger than me? Yes, that is that is <laughs> the point years? of this bragging. That's. Yes. What? Don't be a dick, I'm on Lex. Your, I'm on your podcast, Lex. Stop it. 
What's wrong with you? I'm a terrible Calm person. down. I'm a terrible. Anyway, I apologize. And then, and then, okay. So let's <laughs> let's see. Let him tell a story. <laughs> it's not really a story. There's a thing, but I want to. I want to see when it, when when was it released? It was released August 6, nineteen ninety three. So in in August, uh, I had just so, finished learning my Torah portion. Uh, okay. <laughs> oh, sorry. I was just giving you some space to really. No, I'm sorry. Unwind, <laughs> really unwind your story. <laughs> All right. Any more? No, I'm good. Uh, so, uh, so August 1993, <laughs> I remember very clearly seeing this movie because we went, my my then girlfriend and now my wife and Jonathan Colton and uh, the woman who became his wife, uh, all we all went up to visit my mom and dad in Western Massachusetts and we saw, and Josh Donahue too. And we saw the we saw the fugitive at the Garden Cinema in Greenfield, Massachusetts. There, that's the, that's the connection. <laughs> <laughs> but you Bring see, it we circle. yeah, and uh, yeah, and it's a uh, uh, and 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 then, as I say, uh, my mom passed away. My wife and I took over the house, and and we would go up there, and and Jonathan and Christine, his wife, would join us, and we would hang out there, and and we would just watch movies and we would rent them and we would watch them and we would drink and we would talk and play Scrabble because, you know, the option of like going outside and, and I don't know what moving fast, that was not an option for us. It was (laughs) sitting around and, 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 and eating and consoling our, consoling our, um, ourselves and our, and our stunted professional dreams and, and personal uh, aspirations that were not coming together with, uh, with heavy duty macaroni and cheese and, and whiskey. Oh, something just beeped. Excuse me. Um, that's a message. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but I have a, I have a mobile phone. So oh. every now and then I get Humble a message brag. from from someone who needs to be in touch with me right away. I just learned, by the way, that Tommy Lee Jones won the Academy Award that year too for that role. Which I do you think Tommy Lee Jones made one of those Twilight Zone style deals with the devil where he he wished he he sold his soul for the ability to look the same forever and the uh, the catch was that he had to look like that. <laughs> it was really you know it, I ha- I have to say that that there's a reason there's a reason that we're talking about this movie and and it's a great movie but I remember the electricity that passed through all of us in the garden. <laughs> In the Garden Cinema in Greenfield, Massachusetts, in August of 1993, when that movie was on, when that movie came on, when he came on the scene in that movie, when he when he showed when he got out of that car after the train derailment, and said, "I want to, I want a hard body search, body do, bada bada but whatever it is, you just remember the rhythms of the Tommy Lee Jones talk." And you and you know Tommy Lee Jones had been in a lot of movies, including Eyes of Laura Mars, but this was clearly a breakout performance. For him, and you were electrified because his performance was so confident, so charismatic, and he was so pockmarked and weird looking. Yes, and there was something like, "I love this man, even though he looks like a monster." Um, and and it was, it was a, a tre- tremendous, uh, tremendously odd movie in the sense that it had two protagonists who were a- absolutely at odds, but that you that you absolutely believed in in both of them, but mostly an odd movie especially now in retrospect because it had so many great character actors in it. You know, they don't they don't make them like they used to. And I don't say that purely out of nostalgia because you know I believe that nostalgia is a toxic impulse. All of the, you know, the, there's the 
the fact that they're not making The Fugitive any, anymore is more than made up for by the fact that they made Breaking Bad, which has some of the best the best acting on 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 film. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Simil- similarly, arresting uh, performance uh, from from an from an older dude. Do you know what I mean? Um, but in in motion pictures, the like cinematic motion pictures, all those guys who were who were stars, the John Turturro's and the and the Tommy Lee Joneses and everything else, they're like they're background characters in a Transformers or a Captain America, and it's really it's a it, it's it's just a symbol of the transformation of what the cinematic movie going experience is now that they are really just making, you know, uh, uh, amusement park rides of varying quality, you know, and, and to make a movie that like the fugitive, that would be, uh, that would be fun and a little bit ambiguous and definitely for grownups and would feature non teenagers in it in major roles is it's, it makes it a real anomaly. It really brings, brings to light a, a big difference in what our culture is all about right now, at least in, in that way. And again, I'm not saying it's bad now and it was good then. It's just, it's just different. different right. The people who would, the people who would enjoy, uh, the fugitive now, you know, divide themselves among Breaking Bad, Mad Men, Game of Thrones, or whatever. I always, so the two things that come to mind are one: it's given how great Tommy Lee Jones is in that movie. It's just it is amazing that you guys did go to Yale at the same time, and uh, yeah, we should. All, he was in class while filming. I think is is truly remarkable. I think we yeah, should well, all agree. I, now I understand why he blew off a lot of my parties. <laughs> right? Do you forget? Yeah, him? you shouldn't take that personally. Right. But the the we should all just agree. Uh, not to reference, even by title, the sort of sequel that Tommy Lee Jones agreed to make to The Fugitive. That was Let's Do The Fugitive Again, but with Wesley Snipes. Let's not acknowledge you, that film. You're success. talking about that that movie, Us Marshals? <laughs> <laughs> they really should have called it We Marshals. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, I was we, graduated comma, from Yale, Marshals. and I know. We Marshals. We Marshals are trying to catch Robert Downey Jr. They eventually made that <laughs> film. It was We Are Marshals, I think. <laughs> now I have to mute. So Don't I can hack up some. I have to mute so I can hack up some flow. Well, Excuse me. Well, well while Mr. It. Hodgman is muted, we should take a quick break and acknowledge this episode's sponsors. Okay, let's do that. Oh boy. Well, Dave, our first sponsor today is not just a first-time sponsor for Unprofessional. It is their first time ever sponsoring any podcast ever. Ooh, that's exciting. Yeah. Who is it? It is Lux Bidet. What is Lux Bidet? Well, John, I'm glad I paid you $8,000 to ask me that question. <laughs> if you don't like oh, using God. toilet paper, uh, uh. listen, this, is, this, this sponsorship is like a fulfillment of my <laughs> life's goal. Everything I in love my life. that of all, the times, of all the times we end up talking about this stuff on the show, finally we're getting paid to do <laughs> listen, it. Listen, everything in my life has led up to this moment. This episode of Unprofessional is sponsored in part by Lux Bidet. <laughs> If you don't like using toilet uh, paper, you should try Lux Bidet. Bidets are not very well known, but they're important. <laughs> All right, as I wait, 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 wait. The if you don't like using toilet paper, is that the actual copy yes, they gave you to read? Yes, that is so great. It's, I mean, these Lux Bidet knows their stuff, is what I'm saying. And by the way, just so you can type it in now while we're going here, it's l u x e bidet b i d e t dot com l u x e b i d e t dot com Lux Bidet. I am 100% convinced that they know their stuff is not the phrasing you wanted to use right there. <laughs> Bidets are not very well known, but they're important. And here's, they wanted me to, they, they asked if I would reference a story I think I've used on this show, an analogy uh, I've used. Uh, a homeless man runs up to you, he smears fecal matter on you. We're not saying if it's his or someone else's or even a human, but regardless, fecal matter has been smeared on your bare skin. 
What do you do if I hand you either an endless supply of water having hose or I say, I hand you a paper towel and I say, use either one of these to clean up. Any sane person is going to pick the endless hose supply. And that's what Lux Bidet is offering you. Do you mean like prostitutes with endless water? <laughs> no, I am referring to a endless jet of water. The H-O-S-E hose. Oh, okay. That this I guess makes more sense. Lux Bidet is the number one brand in this space for more than five years. They've got the best looks, the best quality parts, standard fittings. It's an excellent company with great customer support. So the idea is you get this little doohickey. They send you all the parts. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine what customer support would be like. <laughs> Have you moved your bowels yet, sir? Uh, but so it, so you, you say you're just not getting clean enough. Have you tried? No, I'm not even going to go there. I can't even say this. This is sponsored. I can't even say what I want to say. I can't make the joke I want to say right now. But it connects... Now, uh, Lest there be any confusion, the the water supply for this this is an attachment to your toilet. It's gonna it's it's attaches uh, you know to the toilet seat essentially, and then the water line is the clean water supply, the same water supply that feeds your toilet. It's not water from your toilet. You're not cleaning yourself with toilet water. <laughs> you're using fresh incoming water, and instead of using roll after roll of toilet paper, you're pointing the jet stream of clean cold water at your you know what and cleaning things up. It is perfect. And guess what? Unprofessional listeners can save five dollars on a minimum purchase of $38. So you can get your Lux Bidet toilet add-on for $33, basically, if you use this promo code. <laughs> That's a... Oh, God. What's the promo code? You're laughing. This is going to be bad. What is it's it? just Lex. <laughs> <laughs> promo code is Lex. My name, L-E-X. Uh, because when I think of water shooting at my ass, I think Lex. <laughs> to save $5 at LuxBidet.com, L-U-X-E-B-I-D-E-T.com, use code Lex. You're going to get $5 off minimum purchase of $38. I use my Lux Bidet literally every day at home. You, you, we should um, maybe be clear that it's Lux Bidet, L-U-X, E. Promo code Lex will right. get L U X E, but promo code Lex L E X. That's right. I use my. I will only move my bowels in one room of this house. It happens to be a bathroom, and it happens to be a bathroom with a Lux Bidet <laughs> installed in the shower. In <laughs> shower. I love it. So anyway, thanks to Lux Bidet. This is their first time sponsoring a podcast, so everybody should go check them out. It is wonderful. <laughs> it is the only. I mean, anytime I leave my house. Uh, I feel horrible that I'm so far away from my Lux bidet. So use the promo code Lex save by five bucks. <laughs> Man, I I wish I had something to add to that. I'm so really glad that do. that just happened, though. I don't think I've ever laughed so hard during a sponsor. Read. Tell me we've got another one. We've got, another, we've got another sponsor. sponsor. Another first-timer oh, okay. to Unprofessional, but not a first-time podcast sponsor. These folks have had a lot of success with podcast sponsorships because the product's so good. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Before we do that, uh, quick thing from John. Uh, you have to go to wiredwest.net. This is the initiative in Western Massachusetts. It's a grassroots effort to raise money uh, to create a fiber optic broadband network to reach and connect the hill towns of Western Massachusetts uh, reliably and affordably to the World Wide Web. As I said earlier, until just a couple of years ago, all we had out there was dial-up. We now currently have DSL, which is pretty good, but... The real high-speed fiber optic stuff isn't coming to Western Massachusetts because the companies, the big telecoms, don't consider it to be cost-effective. This is not just a Western Massachusetts thing. This is all over rural and agricultural America. And one thing that I 
really believe in is that getting reliable, affordable broadband access to every corner of America is not just great for letting kids see pictures of naked men and women and also to connect via Facebook, but it is economically empowering to those communities. In Western Massachusetts, we have, uh, particularly in the, in the agricultural communities, uh, it's an aging tax base. Young people just won't move to these towns unless they, if they don't have reliable broadband. And uh, it's a big way to keep uh, rural and small towns alive and vibrant, and um, it's good for everybody. So go to wiredwest.net, uh, click on partners slash supporters, say, uh, click on become a supporter, uh, uh, I expect a uh, at least $1 million grant from <laughs> Unprofessional. And, uh, and if listeners out there want to check it out as well, or for that matter, check out if there are similar initiatives in your state or Commonwealth, because it's a big issue. There's obviously, you know that in, in much of the uh, developed world, uh, broadband access is uh, broader and cheaper than it is in the United States due to telecom monopolies. And it's something that it's worth all of our time and effort to try to uh, bring uh, to more people. There are serious implications for education, not to make it political to that no. level, but there are serious implications on education where you could you could provide people with a uh, the opportunity to get a good, if online, education, find real information, find, find real facts and, and discover things about science and the world around them in parts of the country where maybe things like science aren't viewed as being such a good thing. It's, uh, I mean, uh, that's, that's an also an incredibly uh, important part of this and a really good point to raise. So thank you. Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, as, as someone who, like Jonathan Colton, we had the benefit of living in a major city that got, that got cable modems pretty early on. And it, it transformed not just our creative lives, but our, our, our economic lives. It, it gave us a possibility to, um, to, to earn a living. And the reality is that online Etsy shops and bands and um, uh, people making music, people making art, this is the mom and shop commerce, the entrepreneurship of the next century. And, and we only benefit our whole country if we are able to bring it to as many people as possible and keep a, net, a neutral net as well. 100% agreed. All right. So once again, wiredwest.net. Wiredwest.net. Uh, that's for Western Massachusetts specifically. And uh, why don't you uh, take a look out there, listeners to the Unprofessional Podcast, see if there's similar initiatives in your state or commonwealth. Awesome. And I'll make sure that the uh, link is in the show notes as well. Hey, great. Thanks so much. And johnhodgman.com. And johnhodgman.com. If you don't mind, for all tour dates and details regarding the upcoming extremely limited release of the DVD of Ragnarok, that not only includes the DVD of Ragnarok, but also a jar of custom survival mayonnaise, a urine flask, <laughs> uh, 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 really? a, custom, a custom John Hodgman cologne, unisex cologne, yes. Wow. Uh, as well as um, my consciousness uh, on a thumb drive for immortality purposes and a, sel a selection of my DNA for cloning purposes. This is an excellent value. Only 500 of them will be made but, and only 500 of them will be sold. Oh, you won't keep one for yourself? No. Well, unless I pay myself. I might just... Well, that, I mean, that would make sense to a certain degree. Yeah. But that goes back to nostalgia. You don't... Like, do you really want that stuff laying around? Uh, I would like to keep my consciousness and DNA on file in case I ever want to replicate myself. Yeah. Or just in case you ever lose one of them? Exactly so. Just having a backup of yourself. I could lose my DNA or my consciousness at any time. It's, it's a danger we all face. 
I travel a lot. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I leave things behind in airports all the time. Certainly, I leave my DNA behind in airports all the time. That sounds pretty hot. Mm-hmm. It is. Our, our other sponsor is Fracture. People take hundreds of digital photos, but most of them just end up trapped on your phone or your computer. Fracture, Dave, makes it easy to preserve your memories on your wall. A fracture is a picture printed directly on glass. It's picture, frame, and mount all in one. Everything you need to get your photo on your wall comes in the box. So you go to their website, you fill out the thing, you upload your photo. They send it to you printed on glass. They sent us each some demo photos. And um, I I instructed Dave not to open his yet because I didn't want him to know. But one of the uh, samples, Dave picked out one photo, and it's of of Pixel, his dog. But Yeah, of course I want a picture of my dog. The other photo that you haven't opened yet, Dave, is... uh, it's John Gruber, Amy Jane Gruber, <laughs> John Syracusa, and Dan Benjamin all together. <laughs> so, are you serious? I'm deadly serious. Taking a WWDC from me to you. Are they are they all using a bidet or something? Or, What's the time? It might be at Macworld slash iWorld. I don't. It's at one of those events. Um, but so. Their prices start at just $12 for a small fracture, and they have a variety of sizes to fit every wall, and every fracture comes with a happiness guarantee and a lifetime warranty. You upload your own photo at PictureMe.com. If you use Unprofessional at checkout, the promo code UNPROFESSIONAL, you'll get 15% off your first purchase. All right, I got one that's uh, my three kids. It's big and and awesome. We already hung it up over our piano in the living room. Uh, But they're really cool. The, The, you know... The first time I heard about Fracture is when they reached out because they wanted to sponsor the talk show. Um, but uh, everybody I know who's gotten one of these, and I know plenty of people have, loves them. I uh, I was going to get one for my wife as a gift for Hanukkah anyway, and then they just sent me one. So now I'm going to order one for my parents. Don't tell them. Luckily, they don't listen to this show. Well, they, it's a good thing they don't because yeah. they would hear all your thoughts on Hanukkah. Right. But uh, Fractures are awesome, man. You you get these things. They're, they're, they just look great. So it's a it's a picture printed on glass directly on the glass. Yes, I've got I've got two things come to mind here. One is that it makes it really hard. the the the, the surprise photo makes me realize it's really hard to cut people out of a, a glass picture if you don't if you don't want that <laughs> right. Picture. You can't cut people out. That's true. Right. Uh, also, if it's made of glass, is fracture the right name for it? <laughs> well, well, let me tell you a true story. And the worst part is I promised them I wasn't going to tell the story, but it's, they're going to come out great from it. I was so excited when my fracture arrived. They even sent another print too, just like some artwork with it. Um, but when I opened it up, my original fracture of my kids was incredibly fractured. <laughs> and I called them up and I said, I don't think this is what you mean by the name fracture. It does what it says on the tape. Right. And they said, yeah, that, uh, that has n- almost never happened. It had never happened to when they were sending out a, a sample demo unit. Um, but, uh, they said, you know, listen, if it happened to a customer, a paying customer, we do the same thing we do for you. We'll send out a replacement the next day. And they did. I got a replacement. Wow. Well, that's, that's top notch. So, you know, if it does get fractured in, it was FedEx's fault. Uh, they don't sponsor the show, so screw them. But, uh, right. but yeah, I mean, the, if it does come fractured, they'll fix it. But yeah, it's, uh, the artwork is not fractured and nor will your memories be Dave, since they're preserved in glass. I like that our sponsors today are all about glass and ass. <laughs> I think it's a great story to tell. I, I guess I can kind of see why they wouldn't want you to tell it, but the truth, they do come out looking good. More importantly, you're buying a picture on glass. This is going to be one of your first things that you think of, right, is what happens if it shows up broken. Yes, no, you're so right. We're, we're just answering the question right up front. That's right. We're helping them. Right, John? Daniel Roebuck was the guy who played Dr. Arts <laughs> yes. in Lost and was the, one, was the mustached 
guy, the mustached member of Tommy Lee Jones's team, See, who said things were hinky, and he also he played. He also played Jay Leno in the movie about Jay Leno fighting I, David Letterman. See, I know oh, Daniel Roebuck because I, uh, I I worked at a uh, I interned one summer at a, a TV movie production studio right after he had done uh, the Late Shift, and we worked with him on a movie called Quince, a terrible T. I mean, he would agree, a terrible TV movie called Quince, in which he portrayed the father role of father. And L. Scott Caldwell was the the African American woman police officer on his team, who I just now learned from the also internet on went Lost. on to, to also was on Lost. She played Rose on yes. Lost. Well, she's yeah. amazing. Versus she's great. Oh wow! And then Thomas Mills Wood. I think that's the kid who who Tommy Lee Jones said, "Don't let them." Know. Is that him? Yeah. Don't let them give you any shit about your ponytail. Oh, yes. And Welcome he was to John also, Hodgman reads IMDb. <laughs> well, but I remember because he was also in um, in Under Siege, which was not a terrible movie, and Tommy Lee Jones was in that, and that was before uh, uh, the Fugitive, right? It was the same director, I think. Yeah, I keep wanting to make a joke about his uh, Tommy Lee Jones's terrific performance as Two Face in whatever Batman movie that was, but I'm kind of stuck now on the thought that why would you choose a guy who looks like that uh, to be Two Face? Well, because they only needed makeup on one side. Right, but they went on the wrong side. Uh, yeah, no, my that that movie went so so many different <laughs> kinds of wrong. Um, but 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 Andrew Davis was, was directed Under Siege, which was the good Steven Seagal movie, <laughs> the and one. and it also had that 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 kid Tom 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 Wood. But what has he done since? He kind of disappeared, didn't he? He's like, oh, uh, the last thing apparently he was is he alive? I'm nervous about him. I want to I want this kid to be okay. Tom Wood's alive. He's doing fine. He hasn't acted you, since the year 2000, in which uh, he appeared in a TV movie about meatloaf. To Helen back. He played Kevin Frears, if I remember correctly. <laughs> yeah. the, the musician slash actor? Uh, <laughs> meatloaf? Or like the, the food? It was actually the movie. You might not remember this. Uh, it was a good TV movie in the year 2000, but uh, it was half and half. The first half was about the dinner, and the second half was about the musician slash actor. Oh, that's oh, interesting. Look at that. But here he, he was in he was in Us Marshals too. <laughs> There's a sequel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but oh boy, this 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 recent photo, this 2013 photo of him. Yeah, he's not. He is. He did not age. He's basically uh, Tommy mm-hmm. Lee Jones rubbed off on Tom. <laughs> that's that's I, that's inappropriate. I didn't. Sir. I don't like that. <laughs> This podcast is making me feel very sad. Remember how we were talking about time passing? We're going to turn this around because I want to talk. Apparently, it's, it's passing. <laughs> it, time is passing for Tom Wood as well. I want to. I want to bring you up again by talking about oh, another no. friend of yours no. who's been on the show and learn about your origin story there. How did, this is so weird? What are you doing? I'm, I'm cheering him up. Okay, the, All right. another past I'm guest, board. Uh, John Flansburg. We only know you know many John type people who've been on the show yourself hang on hang on guys i'm having i'm I'm sorry just a little technical thing i'm having a little difficulty getting my head with the headphones on into this oven (laughs) what what were you just talking about don't kill yourself instead okay tell us the overjoyous origin story because i don't know it of how you and uh mr john flansburg became connected Past unprofessional guest, John Flansburg. I'm trying to imagine how big these headphones are. It's like Beats by Dre or something? What's your... Well, it's just a... The problem is it's a toaster oven. Right. I'll see. I was oh, going to go easy well, bake, but okay. I'll accept toaster. <laughs> um, 
Tom Wood was the second actor <laughs> cast after Harrison Ford for the film The Fugitive. He had just worked with Andrew Davis and Warner Brothers in Under Siege. The role of Newman was offered directly and immediately accepted. Thank you. We need to cast Thank this guy in The Fugitive. Somebody get me Tom Wood. That's what happened. You know, you know who I haven't seen acting lately is uh, Jake Lloyd, Anakin Skywalker. What happened to that kid? He gave up on uh, acting. Yeah, I think that poor, you don't, don't, let's not be mean to children. (laughs) (laughs) I saw, I saw a video of him, of an interview with him recently in the last year or two. And he seems like he just has PTSD. Like that really did ruin his life. Yeah, that wasn't, that was too bad. Well, I, so that's us, that's us bringing you back up. I saw his performance. It ruined my life too. If you search him, if you search him, you will see that he, he like, like another person I know, which is to say me. (laughs) Facial hair <laughs> is trying to is trying to <laughs> is trying to renew his life by by looking like Guy Fox by growing a guy by growing a Guy Fox arrangement somehow that that's going to make things better for him. Oh boy! No, it looks like it looks like me and Jake Lloyd should just be manufacturing meth in a in in a in a cabin somewhere in the Catskills. He Jake Lloyd looks like he really wants the the in the movie made about his life for him to be played by Leonardo DiCaprio. You know what's going to happen is I'm, you know you you know about the 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 mockbuster uh, phenomenon. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the company that makes these, but it's like if a trans like Transformers comes out and then they'll go immediately direct DVD with right Transformationers right. or whatever, and it's the same thing. Like I I feel like me and Jake Lloyd. Are gonna are gonna do a, a knockoff of Breaking Bad. We're gonna do like a, a <laughs> like a like a like a lodge net only for hotels only. <laughs> As like, a movie or the whole series, you're gonna do five seasons of him calling you bitch. No one's ever done a mockbuster of a movie of a television series before, and we're gonna do it. And I'm gonna play, I'm gonna play the Walt White character, and he's gonna play the Aaron Paul character. This, Brian, this is be, Brian. Cranston I would watch this. I'll be, yeah. And it's, what what would it be called? Breaking, like making bad, making bad. It'll be called making, <laughs> making meth. That's what it'll it be. Would, <laughs> <laughs> misbehave, misbehaving, going, going, going wrong. Uh, <laughs> I like making so meth going, because it takes everything that's slightly <laughs> ambiguous about the title and just gets so explicit. That's my right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. That's Making meth under <laughs> and the subtitle is because of my cancer diagnosis. Wow. <laughs> the asi- the asylum is the company that makes all it, and the and the one that I was thinking of, the mockbuster of the film Transformers was Transmorphers. Yes. <laughs> I'm looking forward to season three when you shave your head. Or season two, season three, whenever, whenever you shave your head. Uh yeah. No, it's gonna be it's gonna be great. It's gonna be a good uh, look for you. Uh, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be exciting. And remember Folks, only in hotels, only on LodgeNet, <laughs> just like that Halle Berry movie, nine one one or whatever. Hello, was, are you still there? Tommy okay. <laughs> oh, Flansburg, right. So, <laughs> I started. I in the in the late nineteen nineties, I had moved to New York, and start in nineteen ninety three was the was the last good summer um, uh, for a long time for old Hodgman. I mean, look, I'm very happy healthy guy who's had a lot of luck and I don't, I don't mean to complain, but then, but you know, the nineties were kind of a lost decade for me because after I saw the fugitive, it just started getting worse, <laughs> you know, and I moved to New, I moved to New York to be lost with, touch with Tom to, lost, lost touch with Tommy, Tommy Lee. 
um, uh, and and sort of had the, had the awakening that you have when you've been told by your high school and college and parents that you're great, and it turns out you're just like everyone else in the world with a degree in comparative literature, not qualified to staple things, basically. <laughs> and, you know, I had to struggle to find a job, and I wanted to write, but I really was very lazy, and I liked to drink, so... I couldn't really square those two things together. I didn't want to write a novel because I don't, I, I don't, I'm a, I'm a good narcissist, but I'm not that level of narcissist. Uh, I wanted to write short stories and I knew that there was no money in it. So I took a job at a literary agency. Jonathan, who was a songwriter, also moved to New York around the same time, um, was terrified, hated the, he always used the, the excuse that he hated the way the music industry was structured. And I think that that's true to some degree, but mainly he was, I think, terrified as I was of actually putting yourself out there and being a creative person. So he took a job as a computer programmer, just a couple of blocks away. I was seeing the woman that would become my wife at the time. That's why I moved to New York. We were not living together. And Jonathan was friends with the woman who would become his wife, whom I knew from high school. Anyway, so there we were in the 90s, basically wasting seven years of our lives, of our creative lives, because we were too terrified to become creative people. And the turning point for both of us to some degree, and for a lot of people in the world, was the internet. Because for Jonathan, the advent of the internet meant that he could, uh, the, the writing was on the wall, even though it was still early days in the late 90s, he could actually make music and distribute it and not have to work within the system that that he thought to be counterproductive and illogical, which is the traditional music publishing system. And I discovered McSweeney's, um, which in, began as the print journal uh, that Dave Eggers was editing and very quickly became a, a website. Uh, where I started writing humor for the first time on Dave's in- encouragement and um, and discovered a, a new mode of writing and and also a, an audience of of uh, young uh, uh, proto Wes Anderson types who loved McSweeney's who were digging my work and would write in and we would have conversations with each other so it was really a big turning point and and the reason I bring all of this up uh, is to say that um, uh, the they might be giants Issue who six. had long yeah, who had long been heroes of of both mine and Jonathan, uh, uh, did the soundtrack for an issue of McSweeney's, issue number six, exactly. And by that time, I um, I had left the agency and was beginning to write and perform my weird brand of literary humorism. And um, and uh, Dave uh, asked me to emcee a couple of uh, a couple of events that featured the Giants, and I did, and it was a thrilling, exciting adventure, and I got to know both uh, John Linnell and John Flansburg and, and became friendly with them, and it was Flansburg uh, I, I, who first approached me about my first on-camera job ever, and that was to appear in a series of videos for They Might Be Giants, their Venue Songs DVD, where they challenged themselves to write a new song for each venue that they performed in on the tour mm-hmm. the, the day of the, sh- of the show. So they did a song about Mr. Smalls in Pittsburgh, and they did a song about the uh, the Stone Pony in Asbury Park, et cetera, et cetera. And um, John and I came up with an idea for an interstitial where I would be uh, the enemy of They Might Be Giants, an unnamed, deranged millionaire who is trying to destroy them. <laughs> My visual introduction was, to you, I believe, was that video. Yeah, um, and and indeed to the world. That had to have been maybe in 2000, 2003 or so, 2003 or 2004, which is, you know, sort of when things started looking up again 
after the fugitive in 1993, things <laughs> things took a turn and and turn and turn for the better because at that point I was now working I was now working in in the in the world that I wanted to work in and there was a world that I wanted to work in which was you know to to I could make I could make the weird sort of half truth comedy that I wanted to make and and it could find a place in the world via the internet and then uh, and then in a book does that answer your question? It's, yeah, that was a very thorough <laughs> answer. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, well, Lex. it's just you know, but the th- the thing is that you know you 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 have prompted me to think about time passing, and you you've put me you've put me in a nostalgic mood, and and I know how you, you know with nostalgia. Uh, well, the thing is that I do think of myself. Lex is a real jerk. I I I think I like like most people in their forties. Um, I have the delusion. Um, that that my twenties, that nineteen ninety three, the great summer of the fugitive and the Friday the Thirteenth video marathon, that that was yesterday. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I I yeah I yeah. forget sometimes that you know it, it, twenty years has passed and all of those years um, involve Jonathan Colton to some degree. Um, he's been a huge, a creative. I mean, just a great friend, but also. We we've creatively spurred each other on over the years, and and uh, and I remembered that because of the questions that you asked. The wind beneath each other's wings, to a certain degree. I didn't like beaches very much. <laughs> what year did that come out? Tommy Lee Jones wasn't in it. That's the problem. I'm yeah. going to say beaches was 1994. Let me check. <laughs> that, that's that, the one of the lost years. 1988. No, 1988. Wow. 1988. <laughs> I was totally off. Wow. Totally off. I'm, I'm, I was really. thinking back to Lex's list of people that you know that have been on this show, and uh, you—I I, I don't know why—I didn't think of this, but you—you're also—you uh, know Sean Nelson. I do I know Sean Nelson. Has he been on the show? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, we've gone through a long list of people trying to get to you. I yeah, think is the yeah. moral of that story. Other past guests who you know, Jesse Char. A lot, of, a lot of white dudes with glasses. Jesse Char may be the exception. Yes, less of a white. <laughs> I don't think she counts. Uh, uh, and also, uh, we had your wife on several times. She was on the show. I know that is obviously a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I was going for live, but we'll allow it. That's my favorite thing anyone's ever said to Lex. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's 20. 20 yeah, it, it, you know, <laughs> here's the thing. This is just 20, 20 years of, of, um, of life. You entwine your life around the, the people who are, uh, exciting and inspiring to you and the internet allows us to really stalk each other a lot more efficiently and uh consequently i knew i do know all those people and you know you guys are doing some good stalking too thank you we do we're, what we can we're, yeah. we're, uh, we're very good at it i'll have to listen to all those episodes those are all good people jesse is incredibly smart and funny sean is brilliant have you had john roderick on not yet no he should we should we should Come on, that guy is white and has glasses. Jesus, what are you guys doing? Why are you wasting your time with me? Well, he has to have the first name of John. Can he satisfy that requirement? He d- yeah, actually, oh, now that I think Roderick? about it, he does. Yeah. Um, John Roderick's uh, podcast is terrific. Roderick on the line. Yeah. Have you yeah, had him and uh, Merlin? Have you had Merlin on the podcast? We have. We have not had Merlin. He's on. I think he's on uh, our list. The pro- yeah, the pro- he's wearing. He's wearing contact lenses now. So yeah, and we also we try not. to keep the show to around forty five minutes. So we're not sure if we. Can. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I've kind of gone on some <laughs> Merlin Manish uh, digressions in this one, haven't I? Okay, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here, let's put a pin in that. We'll go to something else. That was my Merlin. Oh, Manish that was good. That was good. <laughs> I, I was on board. We should talk some more about Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> what else do you want to talk about? What What else happened in 1993? This seems like a banner year. Did I mention? Well, my bar it was. Mitzvah? You know what? It was. There's a whole point. There's a whole reason that I forgot that that I like 1993 loomed large in my imagination. As I suffered through 1994, 1995, 1996, 1997, and really just felt lost that I wasn't doing what I what I wanted to be doing, even though I was doing some exciting things and some fun things and having a great time in New York, I just felt like oh, I wish it were 1993 because that's when it felt everything felt just about right, and I was living within my means in a nice apartment in a very inexpensive city, and I was paying money of my own my own money to study uh, writing with um, Lee K. Abbott, uh, who taught in the Yale Summer Writing Program, an incredible short story writer who, whose work is uh, tremendous, and it is in print, and it's now been collected. There's a best of Lee K. Abbott short story collection that everyone should go out and buy immediately. He's just uh, astonishing, and a great, a great teacher and a great guy. And it was one of those sort of like, so, like it was in that, we were all in this twilight world, and Tom Parada, the author Tom Parada, was also teaching in that course at that time. And, and one of my mentors, Don Faulkner, who is a great writer as well. And, and all, you know, all of us and a number of the other students were in this, in this summertime twilight between adulthood and, and prolonged adolescenthood and, and like students and teachers. And it was like, we would just learn a lot about writing and talk a lot about writing short stories. And then we would, you know, go, go to the movies or go get, you know, drink at the anchor bar or whatever. And, and it was a ton of fun and just really inspiring creative moments. Like this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. But guess what? You can't just take writing courses and it can't just be summertime all your life. <laughs> you know, eventually you have to, you have to, you know, you have to endure winter. And, um, and don't tell me that. Yeah. Well, no, I'm enjoying summer. Yeah, winter is but, coming. Yeah. Winter is coming. Eventually, the, you know, winter comes, in everyone's life for different lengths of time where you really have to hunker down and take stock and, and, and eat the last of your emotional provisions until, until you are, until, (laughs) until you are ready to put your head in the toaster oven and then (laughs) put your beats by Dre headphones and then then spring and then spring comes back. Well, I like that you ended it on a happy note there. That was good. Right. Well then, you know, then it it was 1993 (laughs) uh, was finally, was, was finally a- <laughs> eclipsed in my imagination was finally eclipsed in my imagination as the good year by 2009 which was really like a crazy that was like height height of the apple ads i was being i was flying over to to london to do qi with stephen fry i was i was um you know uh, addressing the president of the united states at the radio and television correspondence dinner right. i was do, I was being asked to uh, do voiceover for the Emmys, all of that in 2009. And I had finished my second book and I wasn't writing a book that year. So it was uh, emotionally a lot less taxing a time for me. And it was just, I felt like, you know, uh, I was, I was, that that's another time where I felt like, oh, this is, I would love to just keep riding this, this terrific summertime wave forever. But of course that doesn't happen either. I, uh, I think that probably though, it's now 2013. You've been on unprofessional. You've peaked. Oh no, I I peaked, and I'm trying to tell you, I peaked in 2009. <laughs> <everybody>. <laughs> I, 
By the way, 2009, Tommy Lee Jones was in a movie called In the Electric Mist. Yeah. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones and I had a drink that year and we're like, what the, f- what the fuck happened to us? I and I'm being rude and rushing us because I have to call into another call now. Oh, well, no, uh, we, not, not to worry. I got to go too. Oh, but no, no, I'm I'm also really busy. Everybody, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's 2013. I just rolled over the last bump at the bottom of the hill on my way down <laughs> the, the so-called unprofessional podcast, and now I'm now I'm just going to uh, I'm just going to see what's wrong with my toaster oven. <laughs>